0: you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to begin a series today that on spiritual gifts. I've got to realizing that on Wednesday night, some of the studies we've been in, I keep bringing up, well, your spiritual gift this, your spiritual gift that. And, your, and I got to realizing, wait a minute, some people not even know about spiritual gifts. I used to preach on spiritual gifts once a year. Usually around, you know, January or February, I would do a series on spiritual gifts in order that people will understand their spiritual gift and that they would begin exercising their spiritual gift in this new church year. And I got to thinking, wait a minute, it's been a while since I've preached on spiritual gifts. I haven't done it once a year in a while. In fact, the last time i had done this lesson that we're going to do this morning was February of 2015. That's a little bit more than a year, isn't it? A little bit. So it's my fault if you haven't been exercising your spiritual gift, okay? I'm going to give you permission to put that on to me with God when he convicts you this morning. All you got to do is say, God, if Brother Gene had been preaching on this, I'd have done been doing what I'm supposed to be doing, okay? Amen. Put it on me, okay? Because I have failed, all right? But we're going to, this morning I'm going to try to do a dual thing. I want to give you an introduction to spiritual gifts, what spiritual gifts is all about, And then I want to do the first gift, and that is the gift of service, the gift of serving. Because I believe nothing has been more abused and misunderstood in evangelical Christianity than this whole area of spiritual gifts. And I believe that it's critical that we understand spiritual gifts because spiritual gifts being exercised in the body of Christ is vital to the life of the church. In other words, if people are not exercising their spiritual gift, the church is no longer vibrant. It is no longer, you know, a, a, a joyful church, and a church is full of life. We must understand that the church is a living organism. It is the body of Christ, and Christ is head of that body. And spiritual gifts were given to the church. Who is the church? We are. So spiritual gifts were given to us for its ministry, for its education, and evangelism. Now, Paul began uh, verse 1 of chapter 12 by saying, I would not have you be ignorant, brethren, you know, concerning this area of spiritual gifts. So Paul says, I don't want you to be uh, 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 ignorant. Now, again, that's a bad word to some people, but that word simply means unlearned. And I believe there's a lot of people in a lot of churches that are ignorant or unlearned when it comes to the area of spiritual gifts. You know, listen, folks, it is not God's will that we be ignorant or unlearn you know, concerning spiritual gifts that he has given to you, the church. Rather, I believe God wants us to fully understand them in order that you and I can you know, uh, exercise them within the church in order that the church can function and operate in the manner that God intended the church to do. Now, we must understand, before we really get again, this is just an intro. We must understand that that spiritual gifts are divided into two categories. The first category is that of foundational gifts. Now, what I mean by foundational gifts is these were gifts given to the apostles and the prophets in order to lay the foundation of the church. You see, once John, that final disciple, died... I fully believe that the foundational gifts ceased at the death of John Again, these were gifts that God entrusted to the apostles as the church was being established in order to authenticate, in order to, uh, 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 to, uh, uh, to validate the truth of the gospel message. In other words, He gave these apostles, He gave these prophets these foundational gifts so that when they said something or told the people this or that, they were able to authenticate that by the spiritual gifts, these foundational gifts that god had given to them these certain gifts included but not limited to you know the gift of healing the gift of tongues the even the gift of raising the dead to life as we saw peter do with tabitha you know in the book of acts chapter 9 we saw you know paul rose uh, raised uh, eutychus from the dead after a terrible accident to him in acts chapter 20 these were special gifts foundational gifts that god gave to the church that died after the death of john you mean pastor that the gift of healing is no longer in effect because it died at the time of the death of john listen let me just say this anyone who claims that they have the gift of healing listen to me closely Anyone who thinks or claims they have the gift of healing and they're not down there at Texas Children's Hospital right now walking them halls, going into every room that's in Texas Children, they've got a problem. I know if I had the gift of healing, that's the first place I would go. The second place is MD Anderson, okay? So, you know, again, if you want to argue the gift of healing is still in effect because you see people online, you know, touching people and they fall out. And like, I'll be Anyway, if a person truly had that, then they're wrong for not going to Texas Children's, not going to MD Anderson, not going to some of these other hospitals and clearing them out. Of course, the medical field wouldn't like that at all, would they? Pharmaceutical, okay? Now... The second one is the permanent edifying gifts, the second category. Now, these are gifts that were given to the church that are still in effect today. And their purpose is for edification and for evangelism within the church. You know, it's these permanent edifying gifts that we're going to point to and that we're going to teach, you know, during this study because they are the ones that are still in effect today and they're, they're much needed within the church and they're given to every believer. Not all of them, okay? All believers, yes, but, you know, spiritual gifts are given to every believer the moment that they accept Jesus Christ as their personal Savior As he sees fit, we'll see this morning. And if a church is going to be effective in this world today, listen to me, each and every one of us must use the gift that God has given us. Amen or oh me? Oh me. Okay. All right. Look, every Christian is given one or more of these gifts, as I say, the moment that they're saved. And we talked about this Wednesday night here. The best way to know your spiritual gift is not to just sit back in that chair or your pew, whatever. You know, Sunday after Sunday saying, you know, one of these days God will tell me what I'm supposed to do. You know, one of these days God will show me his will. Listen, the best way to find your spiritual gift is not to sit back and try to figure it out. But get up off your Baptist stool of do-nothing and do something, and then what you will find God doing is leading you in the direction of your spiritual gift. Okay? I believe we got too many people with lead poisoning within our churches. Now you say, Pastor, what is lead poisoning? That's too much lead in the rear end. Okay? And, and they're not willing to get up out of the chair, out of the pew, whichever it might be, and do what God has called them to do. Every Christian is given one or more of these gifts, again, the moment they become saved. And the best way to uh, you know know your gifted area is not to sit back and do something until you try to figure it out, but get up and get busy doing something, doing some ministry within the church. And the next thing you know, God will direct you in that area that you want, or he wants you to go. I I, I got to share this, okay? Uh, y'all don't mind if I share something, do you? You too? Oh, boy. <laughs> Pam don't like it when I share stuff about her, you know? But let me just, I'm going to use y'all for an example. You went to Houston for a homeless ministry yesterday with us, right? Okay. Uh, What made you do that? You weren't here Wednesday night when I preached on laziness, so. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Their first time to go. Now, let me just say this. The Houston Homeless Ministry, you either love it or you hate it. There's no in-between here, okay? But that was the first time for them to go. I got a feeling they're going back. You know, because that's an area that they never thought God would use them in. In fact, Kenneth was able to leave one person to the Lord, you know, uh, there yesterday. Okay, but again, if they would have never got up off their Baptist stool to do nothing and, and, and went with us that first time, they wouldn't have realized the joy that they received as a result of ministering. Is that a fair statement? Okay. All right. Now, some of you gonna say, Well, I'm gonna try it, and you're gonna come back and wanna grab her by the throat and choke her till her eyes bug out. But if you do, do it in Jesus' name, everything will be fine. Okay, now look at here. Let's talk about this. You know, get busy doing something, and you're gonna find yourself being drawn to the gifted area that God has for you. If you'll walk in the Spirit as commanded in Romans 8:4, you will automatically begin to perform your spiritual gift. So, let's take a look at the purpose of spiritual gifts. What is the purpose of spiritual gifts? Why did God decide, you know, to, okay, every time someone gets saved, I'm going to give them a spiritual gift slash gifts. You know, why does God give every person those gifts? You know, after all, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. What else do I need? You know, that's a bad attitude. Now... Spiritual gifts are what makes the body of Christ complete. Now, look with me at verses 12 and 14, okay, here in 1 Corinthians 12. Verses 12 and 14. Spiritual gifts is what makes the body of Christ, the church, complete. For as the body is one, now he's talking there about the physical body, You know, I've got hands, I've got fingers, I've got legs, I've got toes, you know. I ain't got a brain, some people say. But listen, everything makes up me, right? Okay? For as the body is one and hath many members, and all members of that body, being many, are one body. You see what he's saying there? Every part of me, there's different parts, but it makes up one body. So also is Christ. For by one spirit, we are all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into the same spirit. For the body is not one member, but the body, now he's speaking about the body of Christ, is many. We all make up the body of Christ. Some are fingers, some are hands, some are arms, some are legs, whatever. Whatever. We all make up, though, the body of Jesus Christ. And Paul used this analogy you know, of the physical body to that of the church, the body of Christ. Just as a body is not complete when it's missing any parts, so is the church not complete if even one person is not exercising their spiritual gift. No amen on that one. Huh? If one person is not doing what God has gifted them to do, then the church will be affected. Will be affected. When a person is not exercising their spiritual gift, the entire church suffers. For a body to perform the way it was designed, it must have all the parts that God created it with. Rather, it's the physical body. For for this physical body to to work the way that God created it to do, I must have everything that God gave me, right? Right? Every part that he gave me in order for it to work the way God designed. Yes, I can miss a finger. I can lose a hand. I can lose whatever, you know, but I can't function the way God intended me to function. It's the same way with the body of Christ here. It may be able to function missing one or two parts, but not to its full capability. Now. The next thing we see in verse 18, spiritual gifts are given to us by God as he sees fit. In other words, you can't tell God, you yeah, know, I want the gift of teaching. or I want the gift of giving. Or I want the gift of, you know, whatever. God gives spiritual gifts as he sees fit. Look at verse 18. But now God has sent members, every one of them in the body. What's the rest of that say? Just as he pleased, as it pleases him. Now, why would God give me the spiritual gifts that he has given me as it pleased him? Because, look, God knows me better than I know myself. God created me. Therefore, God knows all about me. He knows my personality. He knows my likes. He knows my dislikes. And he is going to gift me in the area that he knows I can be most efficient in the body of Christ. So just as a human body has been given certain parts in certain places as God chose to put it together, so has he done that with the church. Okay? God decides who's going to have the gift of service. God decides who's going to have the gift of teaching, the gift of exhortation, the gift of giving, the gift of leadership, the gift of administration, the gift of wisdom, the gift of mercy, the gift of knowledge, or any of the other remaining gifts. God decides that based upon how he knows you, because he created you. That is not our decision, rather that's God, and we can't look at what another person is doing and say, that's what I want to do. Because listen, if God has not gifted you in that area, you're not going to be successful in that area. In fact, you're going to fail in that area. And what is going to happen is because you're not being successful, you're going to get discouraged and you're going to drop out. So we have to accept the gift that God has given us. God has gifted you in an area that he knows that fits your personality, that he knows that fits your ability, and he knows what's going to bring joy in your life. Listen, when you're working outside your spiritual gift, you're not going to have joy in your life. It's going to become a burden, and it's going to cause burnout in your life. Now, the next thing we see in verse 19 is spiritual gifts keeps the church being productive. It keeps the church being productive. Look at verse 18. But now God has set the members of every one of them in the body. Oh, I'm sorry. Verse 19. And if all were one member, where would be the body? You know, the church would be a freak if everybody was leaders, wouldn't it? The church would be a freak if everybody was servers. The church would be a freak if everyone was teachers, you know? And what he's saying here, if all were, one, were, were the same, where would be the body? No member can be productive by itself, separated from the body. And, it, you know, if I was to remove my eye right now, other than it freaking some of you out, okay? But if I was to remove my eye and I was to sit it right there, you know, the eye could not see. Would that be a fair statement? If I was to cut off my foot and i throw it on the floor and tell my foot to go back there and shake hands with Brother Danny, well, you don't have hands, but, you know, could my foot walk back there to Brother Danny? No, no, you're right, Tim. No, it couldn't. You know, and that's the same way, and this is what I'm talking about here. In order to be productive, for my eye to be productive, it better stay in my head. Okay, for my foot to be productive, it better stay on the end of my leg. And when a child of God, now I want you to listen closely here. When a child of God removes themselves from the body of Christ, they too will not be productive. Need I say that again? When a child of God removes themselves from the church, the body of Christ, they too will not be productive. They're going to be just like that eye just laying out there. They're going to be just like that foot that's laying there on the floor, never be able to move again, never be able to do nothing for Christ. Look, they may go through the motions. They may feel good about themselves, but they're not productive in the church. I've had people say to me time and time again, and you've probably had people say to you, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Anybody ever heard that? Anybody ever said that? Don't raise your hand. (laughs) Anybody ever said that a lot of people have said that I don't have to go to church pastor in order to be a Christian. Well, first of all, that's going to depend on your definition of a Christian. Okay, you know, my definition of a Christian is to be Christ like or to be little Christ. And if we're to be Christ like Christ, not only believed in the church, but you know what? Christ attended the church. Christ was the chief cornerstone of the church. I personally believe, I've got it up here for you, so you'll know my personal belief. You know, in order for one to be productive in their Christian life, okay, one must be active in a local church, exercising their spiritual gift that God has given them as the local church makes up the body of Christ. Yes, you can be a believer and not attend church. But listen to me, this is going to be a hard statement. I don't think you can be a Christian and not attend church. You say, what's the difference, Pastor? Well, a believer is someone who's believed in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and they've been saved, but that's it. A Christian is a person who is seeking to follow Christ in their everyday life and being a part of the body of Christ, exercising that spiritual gift that God has given to them. Again, remove your eye from the body, it's no longer productive. Remove your foot from the body, it's no longer productive. Remove a Christian from the local church and they are no longer productive. Next thing, verses 21 through 23. Spiritual gifts make us all equal. Okay, it, there's not a part of my physical body that is more important than the other. I mean, that's just a fact, you know? And it's the same way in the body of Christ. We're all equal. Let's talk about this. We're all equal. Look at verse 21. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more these mem- those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary and those members of the body which we think to be less honorable upon these we bestow more abundant honor for our uncommonly parts have more abundant comeliness you know the problem with some people is they want to be seen You know, probably one of the, you know, my heart can't be seen, can it? Okay? My brain can't be seen, can it? But can this body function without either one of those two? They are vitally important. Okay? You can see my hands. You can see my feet. You can see my eyes. You can see all these parts of me. But what he's saying is it's those parts that can't always be seen that is vitally important. It's vitally important to your physical body. And it's those that sometimes that's not out front in the church, teaching a Sunday school class, standing behind the pulpit, up on the platform, whatever it might be. It's those who are not out front being seen sometimes. Paul is saying they're they're just as vitally important as anything else. Vitally important as anything else. So there's no part of the body of Christ That is more or less needed than the other. We're all equally needed. We're all equally important. What a man might consider the lesser gifts, God considers all the same. There's no such thing as the lesser gift in the body of Christ. Now, the next thing, verses 24 and 26, spiritual gifts bring us together in unity. Verse 24. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which like, verse 25, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether uh, one member suffer, all members suffer with it. For one member be honored, and all the members rejoice with it. Look, because the church at Corinth, now remember, let's not forget, he was writing this letter to the church at Corinth, right? The church with the Corinth was a very carnal church. The v- church at Corinth was a very diverse church. In other words, there was people from all areas that was a part of this church. And Paul really stresses the issue of unity. Now, the question could be asked, how in the world could such a diverse group of people work together? In a spiritual body. How can such a, you know, a diverse group of people work together? It's because they were able to exercise their spiritual gift in love. In love. Look at, I think we got it up here on the board for you. You know, Paul said this in uh, you know, chapter uh, 13, verse 4 through 7. He said, love suffers long. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Now, we're talking here about all the diversity that was in the church uh, at Corinth and how they was able to stay together in unity and everyone exercised their spiritual gift even though they come from different lands. He says love does not parade itself around. You know, one, one, one person with a spiritual gift don't go parading around the church. Look what I've done. Look what I do. You know, love is not puffed up. Love does not behave rudely. Love does not speak its own. It is not provoked. Love thinks no evil, he says. Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but it rejoices in truth. He says love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. And love endures all things listen a church who is working together in harmony exercising their spiritual gifts in love they can go through anything they can go through anything spiritual gifts they're essential in lay ministry the mini, uh, the ministry one is involved in must align with their spiritual gift however and when our ministry is being done outside of our spiritual gift what happens is many times that Ministry becomes a burden to them. Because again, they're not gifted in that area. And understand this. (laughs) Not everyone is going to be excited about your ministry. Okay? Don't expect everyone to jump up and and cheer for your ministry. Because here's the reason why. If they're not gifted in that area. They don't understand your ministry. (sighs) I'll go ahead and say this. We've had. A couple of people, you know, think that we're wasting the church's time and wasting the church's money going down to Houston to minister to the homeless people. Now, why do they think that? Because service and evangelism is not their gift. Therefore, they do not see the necessity of it. Are you following me? So, some people, if they don't see the necessity of the ministry you're involved in, They're not going to get excited with you about it. And don't expect them to. Okay? Don't expect them to do that. So, this is not everyone. They're not going to be excited about your ministry. And if they're not gifted in that area, don't expect them to be so. Uh, Let's see. What are we going to do here? Okay. There's two categories of permanent edifying gifts. We'll get into the sermon now. That was just all the intro. Okay? Cowboys don't play till 3.30 anyway, so... No problem. Right? Uh, Lee? Okay. <laughs> Lee, give me a thumbs up. Okay. Let's look at two categories of permanent edifying gifts. They're the serving gifts, first of all. These are gifts that are geared for service. The issue is not, or the person that has the gift of service, the issue is not proclaiming the word of God. Okay? The issue is to serve the needs of others. Serving gifts would include, there's five of them, helps or service, faith, giving, mercy, exhortation. All those five gifts has nothing to do really with spreading the gospel, not, you know, nothing to do with evangelism. It's all focused on meeting the needs of those within the church. Then there's the speaking gifts. These are gifts geared for proclaiming the word of God rather than serving. You know, nine of those, leadership, administration, discernment, wisdom, knowledge, teaching, pastor, teacher, uh, prophecy, and evangelism. These are the speaking gifts. Their focus is not on serving. Their focus is on spreading the word of God. So let's start this exciting ministry uh, study off by looking at the serving gifts. This is our first gift, the serving gifts. Now, the gift of service is also called helps, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 5, Paul uses the word administrations, that is, service. In 1 Corinthians 12, 28, he uses the word here, helps. The word helps in the Greek simply means relief. In Romans twelve seven, it's called ministry. Ministry simply means aid or service. So it's, however, the same gift. All three of these are actually the same gift, the gift of serving. Now, some will teach that this is three different gifts, you know, and that's why some say there's, well, there's 12 gifts. Some say there's 15 spiritual gifts. Some say there's as many as 18 spiritual gifts. But all three of these are service, okay, just different Greek words used. So the definition for this gift is simply this, the ability to take the burden off of someone else and place it on yourself. That's what the gift of service is. I want to serve others. Therefore, I am going to, you know, do this in order to take this burden off of someone else. That's the heart of a person with the gift of serving. Okay. Uh, this person will meet any physical needs in the body of Christ. In fact, you know, because that is their primary focus, they're, they're their first to recognize when others are in a need. The person with the gift of service, they'll recognize first this person needs a need or this person needs help or this person needs ministered to. Why? Because that's the way God has gifted them. Those with the speaking gifts, it may just go right over their head, you know, but those with the gift of service, they noticed it. They say something's not right here, or somebody needs to help this person, somebody needs to come alongside this person. It's because they have the ability to see the needs that those with the other gifts, you know, are not able to see. Those with the gift of service, they play two roles within the church. The first role is this, in support of church leadership. The person with the gift of service is there to support church leadership in any way they can. Again, the word helps literally means relief. So it simply means to, you know, relieve someone of other responsibilities and place those on yourself, to take a burden off of someone else and place it on yourself. You know, how are they to support the leadership of the church? Because they, they, uh, they're always there, willing and desiring to give relief to the leadership of the church so that they can do what God has gifted them to do. You know, in Acts chapter 6, we all know the story of Uh, the beginning of laity involvement within the church. Two things happen when service is lacking. Look at Acts chapter 6, beginning with verse 1. Acts chapter 6, beginning with verse 1. Go ahead and turn there. Again, this is where laity involvement first was birthed within the church. Prior to this, the apostles, which were the pastors of the church, pretty much done everything, pretty much done everything. But here in Acts chapter six, beginning with verse one, it says, now in those days when the number of disciples was multiplied, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. And the 12 summoned a multitude of the disciples and said, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God. Why? Because they were gifted with the speaking gifts. Okay? Okay. That we should leave the word of God. And serve tables. Therefore brethren. And he says in, in order to resolve this problem. Seek out from among you. Seven men of good reputation. Full of the Holy Ghost. you know, And wisdom. Whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually. To prayer. And to the ministry. Of the word. Again they had the speaking gifts. So. The needs of the people were see was left undone. That's why there uh, you know, arose a complaint. The second thing is the spiritual needs of the leadership was left undone. We see in verse 2b and verse 4. Okay? So the apostles, what happened here, they were burdened down trying to do the spiritual work of the church. In other words, the, 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 the speaking exercising the spiritual speaking gifts, but also having to do the physical work in the church, you know, the daily food distribution program, the service of the church. So they were being, I mean, they were being dragged down because of this. So what they said is, guys, you need to get some people together that can serve and meet the physical needs of the people within the church. Now, they called them servers or deacons, servers. Deacons are servers, is what they actually are. So the people with this gift, their greatest joy of labor, uh, of love, is to serve other people. There's no glory. There's no fanfare. There's no acclaim. To them, it's all about service. So just as the leadership is not limited to pastors, you know, serving is not uh, not, uh, uh, limited to deacons. Stick with me a moment. Though a deacon is a server, serving is not limited to being a deacon. In other words, you don't have to be a deacon to have the gift of service. In fact, in uh, Romans 16, 1, you can jot that down or you can turn there. You know, Paul said this, you know, I commend you, Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant. The same word used there for deacon, which is a servant of the church. So even Phoebe was considered a servant of the church. In other words, Phoebe had the gift of service. Did she have the, was she one of the seven that was set aside? No, but she had the gift of service. Therefore, she was considered a deaconess. Now, some Baptists get all shook up over that word deaconess because they think we're talking about women deacons. No, we're talking about women servers, which a man is a server too he may have that title of deacon but when it comes down to the spiritual gift he is simply a server so the people with this gift their greatest joy and labor of love is to serve other people like i say no glory no fanfare nothing else now the point is now listen to me closely here because again some baptists get all shook up about that word deaconess okay but listen to me closely one can have the gift of service and not hold the office of deacon, but one cannot hold the office of deacon and not have the gift of service. Need I say that again? One can have the gift of service and not hold the office of deacon. In other words, they ain't got that piece of paper that says they're a deacon. However, one cannot hold that office of deacon and not have the gift of service because that's what a deacon is. It's a server. It's a server. We see this both in men and women, and they can serve in the role of helper. You know, God doesn't look at a piece of paper that's hanging on a person's wall. God looks at a person's heart and the gift that he has given them of service. Look, what makes a deacon or a deaconess, throw this up, John. What makes a deacon or a deaconess is not a piece of man-made paper that states a person has been ordained as a deacon, rather what makes a deacon or a deaconess is a God-made heart seeking out whom they may serve. Whom they may serve. There's so much for one with this gift of helps to do in way of loving support of a pastor and the leadership of the church, but it will never get done if they don't commit to their gift of service. God has given us the gift. You know, and what we need are those who will pick up the ball and run with it. Now, also, in service of the church, the gift of service, helps ministry, however you want to pray first to it, it's a beautiful and marvelous gift that's absolutely necessary for the advancement of the body of Christ. Look at Acts chapter 6 again, Acts chapter 6. I want to show you the characteristics of a person with the gift of service. Very important. Because sometimes people think, well, this person, all all they're good for is just to sweep the fellowship hall after a fellowship, pick up trash after a fellowship, empty the trash after a fellowship. You know, that's all they're good for. Hmm. Let's look at some characteristics of a person with the gift of service, Acts 6, verse 3. Wherefore, brethren, look you out from among you, seven men, first of all, of honest report, second of all, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, that you may appoint over this business. Again, many people think that a person who does not have the ability to teach, well, that person can't teach, that person can't preach, that person can't lead, that person can't give money, that person can't exhort, that person ain't got no knowledge of the Bible or anything in way of influencing others. So God simply says to them, since you don't fit in this category, okay, Since you aren't spiritual enough, or since you don't do anything of great significance, since you can't influence the people in their life, I'll just give you the gift of service. Any non-spiritual, non-talented person can do that. Listen to me, that's not what God says. We've done seen God say that no part of the body is more important than others, didn't we? This means yes, this means low. Got your head down like this, you're asleep. And that's okay, too. We all need our rest. Look at here. It's totally the opposite. Look at the qualifications here of one with a gift of service. It's one of honest report. This means that person is trustworthy. You know, it's one who is full of the Holy Ghost. That simply means it's a spirit-filled person. They are spirit-filled. You know, one with a wisdom. You know, this is one who is able to make wise decisions in decision making. You know, this is not just some flunky that God said, you can't do nothing else, so I'm giving this to you, is it? Again, this means no. This means yes. Punch the person next to you, wake them up if they've got the head down. They're not praying, trust me. Especially if they're snoring, you know they're not praying. Look at here. As you can see, this is not just some throw down gift. A gift that those who can't do anything else, it's a special gift. It's a special gift. You know, uh, you know, and without it, the leadership can't do what the leadership's supposed to do. And others within the church are not able to do what they're supposed to do. The gift of service has no public recognition, just loving service. Serving the widows, serving the shut-ins, cleaning, mowing, anything that needs to be done, they're there to serve the needs of the church in many, many ways. In closing, let's look at this. Paul puts this gift of service in perspective in 1 Corinthians twelve twenty-eight. there. Notice he injects it right in the middle of what some would consider the glamorous gifts. He don't tag it on to the end, does he? He doesn't list all these other gifts and then say, well, we'll throw this in Folks, he's got it listed right there in the middle of what some would consider the glamorous gifts. He wanted them to know that this gift flows with the others. And I believe the most common gifts is that of helps, is that of service. You know, we have to have it. We can't accomplish anything if we don't have those active, living out. Their gift of service within the church. Maybe you can't preach, maybe you can't sing, maybe you can't teach, maybe, but you can clean the church. You can visit a sick friend's house. You can take a meal to someone. You can repair things around the church or around the home of some of our widows or whatever it might be. You know, you can visit the shut-ins. You can mow the churchyard. You know, you can pray with a sick member. All of these are things that those with the gift of service do. And you can see that there's much needed within the church. Much needed. And I'll just throw this out. We won't pass the plate twice for what I'm fixing to give you here. Okay, even though it it, it's good stuff and you might give more for it. But listen to me. One of our biggest needs that would take a load off of me. You know, I'm always wanting a load off. One of the biggest needs that we need that would take a load off of me is a handyman around here. And it would take a person with the gift of service, because, again, it's one of those things that probably wouldn't be uh, recognized. You know, Tina, did you notice the urinal in the men's bathroom or where there ain't running no more? Okay? This handyman fixed it, okay? In other words, we got things around here that needs to be done. I and mean, We could use a handyman to change uh, air filters to, like, fix that urinal. There's been some toilets we've had to replace the valves in and just small things like that. And you know what? Here's the thought. You could do it on outreach weekend on outreach weekend, once a month. But you you see how all of this keeps things going within the church. Look, if you're saved, God has given you a marvelous gift to be used in the church body. Maybe you realize this morning that your gift is that of service and you haven't been exercising it. You haven't been exercising it. You know what? If you haven't been exercising it, what that means is someone else is having to take up your slack. Think about that. If you're not using it, someone else is taking up your slack. Now, though this hadn't been an evangelistic message, maybe you realize this morning that you haven't received the greatest gift of all. And that is Jesus Christ is your personal Savior. That's the greatest gift you'll ever receive. But if you're here this morning and you've never received that greatest gift, you'll never receive one of these spiritual gifts. Because these spiritual gifts are only given to those who accept Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and are brought into the body of Christ. And that's when he'll give you the special gift that he has for you. Accept him as your Lord and Savior. Receive the spiritual gift that God has intended just for you. And then begin exercising it here in Fairview Baptist Church. Let's pray.